Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss once and for all. All right. Hello, everyone. I am super excited to have Dr. Nissa Kiyashian with us. She's a board-certified adult psychiatrist. Welcome to the show, Nissa. Thank you so much for having me. I was just going to say a few words of introduction, and I was going to then let you tell us everything. <laughs> yes. So yes. Dr. Kiyashian is, uh, did her undergraduate studies at uh, UCLA and then her medical school at University of Southern California, also in LA. And then you did your residency at the UCLA San Fernando Valley Psychiatry Training Program. And the reason I brought you on, I want to explain to my audience is because Mindfulness is very important for calming the nervous system, as you, I don't have to tell you, but I'm just explaining to my audience. And in my opinion, stillness is where all the answers are found. And you express that you would love to and, or would agree to be on my show and talk about stillness. And I really hope you will tell us everything <laughs> about it. So can I ask you, how did you even like, get to the point when you became interested in mindfulness and basically kind of, if you can take us to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So my ex-husband actually was very interested in meditation and he did a lot of spiritual study. And so he had a lot of these books around and I matched into internal medicine residency in 2008. I went to medical school wanting to be a psychiatrist. My father kind of pushed me into internal medicine. So he's a Persian by background. And, okay. you know, there's an even bigger mental health stigma in the Persian culture than there is here in America. And so he really kind of pushed me into internal medicine and I was there, I matched into UC Davis internal medicine and I started residency there and I very quickly realized that I was not happy, that I was not living my highest dream at that point. And I left the residency program and we had just moved to Sacramento and bought a house and I, you know, had $200,000 in loans. And I was like, what am I going to do? I was not doing well. I was dealing with a lot of really difficult feelings. And I came across one of my ex-husband's mindfulness books. And it was a mindfulness book on coping with anxiety. And I started reading the book and there are seven principles of mindfulness, acceptance, patience, trust, non-striving, non-judging, beginner's mind, and letting go. And I realized that I had been living my 27 years almost in direct opposition to those principles. I was very striving. I was very impatient. I was not accepting. Can you tell us those again? Do you mind? I know that's yeah, not people. at all. Okay. Yeah. So the seven principles of mindfulness, mm -hmm. acceptance, patience, trust, letting go, this concept called beginner's mind that I can speak to briefly. Okay. Non-striving, non-judging. Yeah. So beginner's mind actually comes from Zen Buddhism. And that concept, if you want me to speak to it briefly. Yes. 
is this idea that after we spend many years on this planet, we live very conceptually in our heads. So we see a tree and we label it a tree and maybe even we say oak tree and then we move on. So we think that we know what things are because we've seen them before. But any tree, if you really are present and there with it, you realize you've never seen a tree like that ever before. The different shapes, the different colors, the textures, when you're fully present. And this happens too with like, for example, eating. Maybe we have oatmeal every morning. And so we just zone out and we're ruminating on the past or we're spinning about the future and we just miss the entire oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And Mindfulness teaches us to be very present and to show up with a beginner's mind for everything we're doing like we've never done it before. So every time you take a bite to taste the oatmeal and to notice the movement in your jaw. I see. So really fully showing up for life and realizing that even though moments might appear in a conceptual similar way, everything is so different. Like kind of how a child, like your son, when he was very young, you know, when he saw a leaf staring at it, you know, they come with a beginner's mind. Okay. Because as you know, physicians our whole life, we're striving, right? We got to get to graduate high school. Then we got to get to college. Then we got to get medical school and then residency. And then we have to find a job. So we're constantly living for the future. We're constantly trying to get more, 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 more. And this principle of non-striving teaches us to find peace and contentment where we are. Oh, that's so hard. And is the trust about that too? Like, does trust mean to trust that things will work out or trust yourself? Or what is the trust about? Yeah, I think it's mostly trusting that everything will be okay. And trusting that even though we don't know how the future will unfold, a lot of times we fool ourselves into thinking that we know how the future will unfold. But Often we don't, like I'm sure many, you know, you and people listening may have had times in their life where they were convinced their life was going to unfold in a particular way. And then something unexpected or unanticipated happening and things change completely. So a lot of times we we think we know what's going to happen, but we really don't know. And trusting that even though we don't know what's going to happen, that none of it's bigger than who we are, that we can handle anything that comes. Wow. So, okay. I love it. I'm loving it. So acceptance, patience, trust, letting go, which I would like to talk about that a little bit later, if you have time. Beginner's mind, non-striving. And I think I'm missing one. Non-judging. non Oh, wow. Another one. Yeah. Non-judging. <laughs> so I interrupted you because I lost the connection, yeah. and, but you said that you read these and you realized that you lived your life differently from these. Yeah, I I realized that I'd almost been living in, I had almost been conditioned in my life to live in opposition to those seven principles. Like I didn't trust that I was going to be okay. I didn't accept things how they were. I was constantly striving, trying to get better, not okay with where I was at that point. I couldn't let things go. I would worry like, what if this, you know, I couldn't let it go. Completely for me like that too. So how did you turn it around? Because I think this is really, and this is not just for physicians. This is also for my patients and clients who struggle with pain and who also might be in in three, can see themselves in three or four or more of these. So how did you change it around? 
very slowly. And I'm still, you know, I still, I am very conditioned to, you know, still have these opposites, but after, you know, many years of practice and study reading and going to some retreats, and then also yoga has been a big part of it as well for me. I am trying to balance Mm -hmm. (laughs) how I was conditioned with these principles of mindfulness. Right. And I mean, I know you from the online group and I interact with you online. So I don't know in person, but I can tell that you are very much advanced from where you were. I didn't know you before, obviously, so I'm biased, but it sounds like you have been extremely successful. So mindfulness really is a type of stillness and yoga is also a type of stillness. And I think, you know, this can be a little bit, you know, abstract of a concept. But when we talk about stillness, we really mean being very present. Okay. You know, so the present moment is really the only moment that we ever have. It's never the past or the future. Those are just thoughts in our head. Mm-hmm. The only moment that we ever have is right now. Mm-hmm. And we spend so much of the present moment ruminating on things that happened in the past and worrying about things that are going to happen in the future. So we miss our lives when we are constantly in our minds you know, in the past or the future, we miss the only moment that we ever have, which is the present moment. And when we spend a lot of time in the past or the future, that creates a lot of anxiety and depression. And, you know, anxiety and depression is also, you know, people that deal with fibromyalgia. Also, there's, you know, comorbidities with depression, anxiety as well. 100%. And I actually, I happen to have fibromyalgia in my back and I do suffer some consequences of lack of stillness. So I can completely identify with what you're saying. And I'm so excited to learn more. So I guess one of the questions would be, so can we just start practicing stillness right away? Or do I need, what are the prerequisites? So yes, that's the awesome thing about stillness is you can literally do it anywhere at any time. So there's really two different types of stillness practice. So there is first kind of like the formal practice of stillness. And this is when you carve out time and it can be as short as two minutes and it can be as easy as finding a comfortable chair, sitting in an upright and relaxed way. And you can set an alarm on your watch or your computer. You can start with just two minutes because a lot of times if people start with too much time, you're not setting yourself up for success in that way. You might get restless and frustrated and just say, I can't do this. I'm bad at this. And so you really want to start small with just two minutes and you can set your timer and you can do a basic kind of mindfulness of breath is sometimes the best one to start with because we're always breathing, that we're always breathing in the here and now. And we want to be really feeling our breath and our body, not necessarily thinking about our breath, but feeling it. And also if you can pick in your body, the place where your breath feels most pleasant. So right now you can feel in your body You know, is it with your belly as it rises and falls? Is it in your chest as it expands and contracts? Or maybe, you know, as the air moves through your nostrils? And basically, that's the only place where you're focusing your attention, just at the air coming in and out, wherever I decided it's pleasant. Yeah. So when we do the mindfulness of breath, yes, I would recommend, you know, having that be your anchor. And you set your timer and you bring your attention to your breath and you'll find that very shortly after starting, your mind will go somewhere else. And that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Like I have a lot of people tell me, oh, I can't meditate. I'm always thinking. I can't still my mind. And there's a saying that any meditation is a good meditation. So that's where this non-judgmental 
principle comes really key here is to let go of judging your meditation. Okay. So and yeah, and our, that's what our minds do. Just like our mouth produces saliva, our minds produce thoughts. So it's not that you're doing anything wrong or there, you know, it's just that's what the mind does. It produces thoughts. And the key is not to constantly stay on your breath. The key is that when you leave your breath, that you notice, and maybe you don't notice for the full two minutes, right? The alarm goes off and you realize that you're worrying about something tomorrow. Or maybe you notice after 10 seconds, but whenever you notice that you come back to your breath, that's the key of principle uh, of, of stillness is coming back. When you notice that you've left, that you come back. And so you said there are two ways to practice stillness. One of the most formal when we carve our yeah. time, I assume one of them is just anytime spontaneous. Yeah. So like if you're in a meeting, just going about your day or you're with your son or, you know, you're eating the informal practice of mindfulness. Notice if you're what where you are. Are you in the future? Are you in the past? And can you come and ground into your body? So anchors to the present moment are our sensations. So feeling your breath in your body. Can you feel your chair where you're sitting? Are your feet on the floor? Okay. Is there, are there other sensations that you can notice? Like if you're outside, can you feel the breeze? Can you smell the flowers? Yeah. <laughs> and so what does the science say? How often, I hate to use the word should, but how often should one what try I would, to do what, that? Yeah, what I would recommend with the formal practice, if you can carve out two minutes a day, and if you can pick a time of day that you can commit to. So what, what I do is I uh, wake up before my children wake up I because I know that time is for my meditation. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, if you're starting with two minutes, set your alarm for five minutes earlier, you know, and just sit for two minutes. If it's in the, if the morning is the best time for you, if lunch is the best time, if, you know, in the evening or right before bed, if you struggle with kind of worrying a lot at bed or trouble sleeping, a lot of times meditating a little bit before bed can help with that. Yeah. And try to pick a time that you can commit to and just start with two minutes. And over time, if you can build the time, great. Can mindfulness and stillness, well, this is stillness, right? We're discussing, can it be practiced outside while walking? Oh yeah, walking meditation. So you don't have is, to be, you don't have to be necessarily seated or... And yoga, you know, anything that you're, you know, and, and some people jogging, you know, anything that you can commit to being present throughout. And it doesn't mean that you have other thoughts, but that you go into it with an intention of being present. And that when you notice that your mind has left, that you come back to this intention of being present. And you do it in a non-judgmental way. So some people, you know, they notice that their mind has been somewhere else and they get kind of upset with themselves. Like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. What's wrong with me? And it's just like if you were training a puppy, you know, you want to just be kind and patient. And, you know, when you notice you left, just come back kindly and gently. You know, like we mentioned, you know, yoga and we often think of yoga as just the physical asana, the poses of yoga, but yoga is, there's actually eight limbs of yoga and 
Some of the limbs include meditation. So it's not, yoga isn't just the physical practice, even though that's often how we use that word. In the article you sent me, thank you very much, by the way, I was going to use that with my patients. It Basically, yoga was the only one of the several movement meditative practices that helped pain in fibromyalgia patients. I was not aware of it. I knew that we recommend yoga to my patients, but I wasn't aware of that particular study. So it helped the pain, it helped depression, anxiety, and I believe also sleep and quality health related quality of life. Meaning the way I translated was that people simply felt better. <laughs> yeah. So, Wellness. And you said you practice yoga yourself. So I would really like to know as someone who attended yoga classes several years ago and loved it, but then I moved, I had a baby and now I moved and I use an excuse that I don't have a class near me. Can you tell us, and I'm sure some of my clients are very interested in starting some, you know, being part of something that can help them naturally. So can you kind of walk us through how we could start? I know it sounds maybe completely basic. But... No, 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 absolutely. So, you know, throughout the pandemic, I have been practicing with Zoom classes. And it's nice, you know, if you're home with children, like my sons will come and like sit with me for part of the yoga class. And that's another really awesome part of stillness. When we model this for our children, we can make such a huge impact for their emotional well-being as well. So, you know, there's a lot of online Zoom classes that, you know, you can do from home. You know, there's a lot of studios around. So if you can, you know, go in person, but if you're struggling to go in person, you can do it from home. And I like the online Zoom classes because it feels more like a community. Some people do videos, which is fine, you know, whatever works for you. But if it's an online Zoom, then it's, you know, everyone there is present and it feels like a community. And if you keep your video on, the teachers will kind of speak to you as well. Okay. And you said you did it with your son, one of your sons? Yeah, so they'll come in for parts of the yoga class. Um, they don't do it like they don't lay out their mats with me, but they'll come and like lay like with the sunshine and like roll around. And, you know, I think it's really important. You know, there's a lot of mindfulness being taught in schools now. And it's really nice because I think these are really important practices to teach from a young age. Mm -hmm. So basically just get started, pick one class online. And if you prefer to do it as an advice to my myself and my clients, pick one class, start and see where it takes you. You may not like it. You then may choose to go to online in person, but just start basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, being very present and in your body is so therapeutic and transformative. Like I was saying earlier, we get so stuck in our heads and concepts and, you know, living in the past and the future. And a lot of it is, you know, regrets about the past and, you know, anxious thoughts about the future. Mm -hmm. And in yoga, we practice being grounded in our body. Yoga actually means union between, you know, body, mind and spirit. Mm. So we're bringing our mind in union with our body. So we're coming to the present moment. We are inhabiting our whole being. We're not just like up in our heads, right? Just intellectually. We're coming into our whole being both, you know, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, and we're 
present. And also, you know, we're moving our bodies. It's really important that we move our bodies and, and we build strength. And then also the stretching is so important. So many of us carry tension in our muscles. Like we might grind our teeth or clench our jaw or carry tension like in our neck, shoulders and back. Like sometimes we just walk around with our shoulders up by our ears. Me. <laughs> And I, yoga is all about alignment and balance. And then another patient told me, I saw her two weeks ago and I recommended, I thought she was very deconditioned. So I recommended physical therapy and she said, nope, she's in her eighties and she's very independent, but she was telling me how she do, cannot get up from the floor when she has to pick up something or when she goes on, you know, on her knees. And I said, well, why don't we try physical therapy? And she said, absolutely not. Like, I don't have anybody to drive me. I'm afraid of drivers and not because like she's a bad driver, but because of other people and she watches them drive. So she, her daughter bought her yoga uh, videos and one week later, so she said she only did it three times in that one week. She said, I'm like 60% better. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. I yeah. honestly, I mean, I know how yoga helped me in the past, but I couldn't believe when I said, and what do you think has helped? I asked her and she's like, well, I'm stronger and it relaxes me. That's what, that's the word she used. Like it relaxed her. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, that with yoga, there's what's called like yin and yang yoga. So uh, yang refers to more of kind of like the masculine energy. And that's like kind of, uh, if you've seen like vinyasa flows where it's like more cardio and more strength building yoga. And then there's this yen or restorative, more of the feminine energy yoga. And a lot of this is just like holding very gentle poses for long periods of time and allowing our muscles to stretch and lengthen and release. And this very much activates the parasympathetic nervous system and like soothes the fight, flight, or freeze sympathetic uh -huh. nervous system. And in, induces the relaxation response. Given that there are so many, you started alluding to that there are several types of yoga or like subtypes. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Like how do I choose the one that is for me? Um, it's interesting because I normally practice like pretty intense like vinyasa yoga mm -hmm. uh, and I do a lot of like yoga sculpt and you know with weights and and then also like fast flows but it's interesting because a lot of that is my kind of like striving that default conditioning I was talking about earlier, like wanting to like get the best workout, burn the most calories. And it's interesting because there are these things in yoga called doshas and it tells you kind of like the type of personality you have. Okay. And for me, the best is restorative and yin yoga. And so this is that principle of non-striving, right? And so I, it's hard for me to schedule in the restorative yin yoga yoga because I'm like I need to accomplish so much right but it's so important you know to balance that and so you know I think obviously a combination of the both is great because I think a lot of times too as we build physical strength it can be an, an inspiration to build emotional strength as well mm -hmm. a lot of times as we see ourselves becoming stronger we are inspired to also become stronger emotionally as well, whether we're working on like reactivity in our relationships, mm -hmm. you know, it, it shows us like if we keep practicing something that we can grow and become stronger.
Beautiful principle. I, I love it. And I just realized, I mean, I intuitively, I would love to start with restorative yoga. And then down the road, if I decide, I can add the more the vinyasa yoga. So that's, I'm loving it. Thank you so much. I was going to go back to the seven principles and talk about the letting go a little bit and non-judging, whichever you want, maybe non-striving too, but whichever you want to start, like how about a letting go Basically, does it refer to the past hurts or past wrongs? Like which, what does it refer to the letting go? I think a lot of that, you know, if you're talking about past wrongs, forgiveness is very powerful. And we also hold on to our past wrongs. We have difficulty forgiving ourselves. I actually just uh, finished writing a book that's coming out in the summer and there uh, it's, it includes 50 stillness practices. There's one on forgiveness and it walks us through, you know, forgiving other people in our lives who have hurt us, but then also practicing that for ourselves, because sometimes we have a lot of difficulty forgiving ourselves for things, for mistakes or wrongs that we've made in the past. And we carry that with us and it becomes very exhausting, you know, on our hero's journey, you know, when we're trying to accomplish all of these goals that we have in our lives and we just like luggage that we just like carry with us. Yes, 100%. So is that about you write about in your book or? Yeah, there's a, there's this practice on forgiveness and, you know, you meditate for a little while and then you visualize, you know, so if you want to start with someone else, like maybe somebody that's hurt you, it's always good to kind of maybe start with like a six out of 10, 10 being like the most difficult person. You know, if somebody's hurt you horribly, you might not want to start with that person. Maybe start with somebody who's maybe hurt you like a little bit, like maybe a six out of a 10. <laughs> I love that you have a scale for the hurt. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes we have to be careful with some of these stillness practices. Although there's relatively few risks, obviously, with like meditation and yoga, some people that have a history of like severe trauma, some other mental health issues, you know, if you find that any of the stillness practices become aggravating, it's always wise to seek out a teacher or a spiritually informed therapist just to make sure that you aren't you know, causing more harm for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I bring this up in the forgiveness practice, because, you know, if we pick somebody who's hurt us horribly, and we're like severely traumatized, maybe we have PTSD, you know, maybe we have like re-experiencing like nightmares or flashbacks, then that can be traumatic if you're doing that by yourself on your own. Mm -hmm. And so we want to pick somebody maybe that hasn't hurt us quite that bad, somebody that we that we want to forgive. And when we forgive someone, we want to release this negative energy from our heart. We're not saying that what the person did is okay. We don't even necessarily need to say that we want to have a relationship with that person. Right. It's just that we don't want to carry that negative energy in our heart anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we practice stillness, maybe do a little bit of meditation, and then we can use visualization in meditation and you might visualize this person. Mm-hmm. And if, if you feel comfortable, you might want to say to the person, you know, I forgive you. And you can recall the intention to release the negative energy from your heart. Like I said, not necessarily to condone or say what they did is okay, or that you even want them in your life again. Mm-hmm. 
How is this practice called? I oh, It sounds similar to what I learned in pain reprocessing therapy course, the emotional awareness expression therapy. Is How do you refer to what you just described here? Just, it's just a forgiveness oh, meditation. Respect, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's really powerful to do this for ourselves as well. I really love uh, Maya Angelou's quote. Uh, She said, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. So sometimes we beat ourselves up for, you know, harm that we caused or mistakes that we made in our lives. And to rest in that knowing that you were doing the best that you could. And, you know, now you know better and you're going to do better. Mm-hmm. But can you release that constant veration or that carrying around that negative energy at yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about the, well, you kind of alluded to it already a little bit about non-striving, finding peace and contentment where we are. Yeah. And it's kind of very closely connected to a non-judgmental approach to, I assume this is to the world and to ourselves, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of us are so focused on getting better and growing and becoming stronger. We can become unbalanced in that way. It's really important to balance growth with acceptance. Mm-hmm. More. Sometimes, yeah. So a lot of times we feel like, oh, I will be okay once I accomplish A, B, C, or D. Or And it could be like once I get this job or this raise or once I get married or find a partner mm-hmm. or once my children are doing better. And we put many conditions, but it's like, I will be okay once this happens. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is we can spend our whole lives doing that. Once this happens, because then once, if we have that frame of thinking, once we get to that next goal, we just have that another goal mm-hmm. and we can spend our whole lives living for the future. And then our life ends. Right. And so we have to balance kind of the self-love and acceptance with this growth. So that knowing that you are right where you need to be right now. You are perfect. There's a saying I liked, if you believe in God, you know, God drew a circle right where you are. And that's exactly where you should be right now. Mm. Because often we have this feeling like I should be somewhere else. I should be further along. I should be happier. I should be in a loving relationship. I should have more money. You know, I should have a bigger house. Yes. (laughs) And so we balance that constant need for growth with self-love and acceptance so that our desire for growth is coming from a place of love rather than like fear or you know scarcity or deficit I love it balancing the desire for growth with self-love and self-acceptance I love it yeah Yeah. I love this and what would you recommend to me and my clients and listeners as a good resource to start with when learning about mindfulness and stillness There are so many books. Um, Other than this podcast, of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's a, I have a book coming out, like an introduction to, it's called Practicing Stillness. Tell us about that. Tell us us the name. Can we pre-order? Tell us everything. Yeah, so you can't pre-order it now. It should be coming out around June and I can give you more information when it's available beyond Amazon, but it's called Practicing Stillness. Okay. And Essentially, it's a couple of chapters introducing to the practice of stillness, and then there's 50 stillness practices. And so this is like very much a beginner's guide, like just start where you are 
That's what I need. And that's what some of my patients need. Exactly. Okay. So 50 practices. All right. Yeah. But there are so many other great teachers. What are your favorites? What are your favorites? Yeah. So you found really helpful on your journey. Yeah. I love Sharon Salzberg. So she is really a big teacher uh, of mindfulness, but then also loving kindness meditation. Okay. And she, if you go to her website, she has a podcast. She has many books. Okay. And she has many resources on her website. And a lot of these are free resources. So it's nothing that you even have to buy. So I have a blog. It's called A Mindful MD. A Mindful MD. We'll put that in the notes. Yeah. It's called amindfulmd.com. And I have some yoga pictures on there because in my book, I talk through some yoga practices. And so I put some of the poses on my website. And then I have a couple guided meditations on that website, amindfulmd.com. And I have a nosy question. Do you practice yoga? Do you do yoga every day? Recently, I have been. Oh, wow. I haven't. I ha- In the past, I haven't always been. But I think now that I'm doing it from home, it's easier to fit it in every day. Because like I said, my sons often are there with me. Are you um, following on, with somebody else like on Zoom or do you just do your, your like routine? You have I, I do Zoom. I do Zoom. Zoom. Okay. I've been with it's funny because through the pandemic, my teachers, I've been with a lot of the same ones. And some of them are in Chicago. Some, you know, they're all over the United States. And I, you know, a lot of times a, it's a community, you know, it, you feel like you're part of a community and there's a big spiritual component to yoga as well. Like I said, we, when we say yoga, we think of the physical practice, but there's a lot of teachings in yoga. And so for me, it's almost like a, a spiritual practice as well. They talk about a lot of like emotional health and spiritual health and physical health. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you at the end, what would you say that has helped you the most, you know, on your journey that has helped you conquer the previous approach to life? You said that you were almost in complete opposite to those seven principles. So what has helped you the most to conquer it and to basically turn things around, you know, for as an advice to me and my clients and patients who listen? I think it's a commitment to yourself to stick with this. Okay. You know, an intention, you know, even if it's two minutes a day, you know, to, and, and if you don't do it for a couple of days, not to beat yourself up or make this whole narrative about how you can't do anything, you know, let go of that. Cause that doesn't help you at all. So if you don't do it for a couple of days, let it go and begin again, start again the next day. And so even if you go on vacation or you don't practice it for months or even years that you come back to it, because our life is so busy and crazy and chaotic. And as technology gets better and better, it helps us, but it also makes us, you know, we are constantly on our phones and on these apps that, you know, the people that design these apps have developed them in a way to reinforce us to keep coming back, you know, to constantly be bombarded by emails and, you know, messages. And so our worlds are getting noisier and noisier. And so it's so important just to carve out a little bit of quiet, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can listen to your heart and what is most important to you. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you for that message. Anything else you can think of that I haven't asked you about? I know I interrupted you several times and I'm sorry about that. (laughs) But anything else that you wanted to mention at the beginning, but didn't have a chance and would like to leave us with in terms of your thoughts or recommendations? 
So a lot of practicing mindfulness is just becoming aware and we become aware of our thoughts and our emotions. And as we do this, we might become more aware of pain that we have in our hearts. And initially it can be challenging because a lot of times we distract ourselves, right? We distract ourselves with food or shopping or TV or movies, you know, and, you know, alcohol or drugs or video game, whatever it is. And so when we start to become more present, we might notice some pain and to really show up with this kind, gentle awareness. You know, we don't want to, like, if we notice that we're being judgmental, we don't want to layer judgment on top of judgment. So if you notice that you're judging somebody else or you're judging yourself, you don't want to judge yourself for doing that, right? Right. You want to bring like this kind, gentle awareness. You You can just say, oh, judging, there's judging. You don't have to be like, oh my God, I'm such a judgmental person. I'm always going to be like this. You know, we don't want to add the painful self narrative to the judgment. Mm -hmm. So So basically be like, like make it like an exploration journey. Like, "Mm, okay, I'm noticing I'm offering judgment to myself or to others and I'm aware. So I'm not going to like, that's a progress and let's see where it takes me. Basically like a exploration like as if I was my own observer without judgment exactly like a curiosity curiosity yeah just being you know just like an explorer like you said and the reason why this is so powerful is because when we shine the light of awareness on these patterns the more we do this the more we notice how it feels like when we're judging we feel like our heart close or we feel the tension in our muscles and we feel it's uncomfortable and it's not true to our deepest hearts and who we are you know there's one of my favorite mindfulness equations says um suffering equals pain times resistance right okay suffering so suffering equals pain times resistance and what this equation speaks to is you know pain is inevitable. If you're a human, you have pain. There's no way around that, right? But this equation says is if you can lower your resistance, you will lower your suffering. And when I say when I say resistance, it's often judgment. It's often like if you're depressed or if you're sad or if you're afraid, what we tend to do is we tend to be like, why am I like this? I shouldn't be like this. I'm always going to be like this what is wrong with me. And that's the resistance piece. Mm -hmm. And so if we can practice this kind, gentle awareness, then we're lessening our resistance. And then we lessen our suffering. Mm, I love it. And I heard that sentence before, and actually several times over the past few months. And this is the first time that it was explained to me that it completely hit home right now. So I appreciate that. So And I even heard about uh, the pain being inevitable before, but the suffering being optional. Yes. Lowering our resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Letting go of the like, oh, I should be better or I should be stronger. I shouldn't be as sad or I shouldn't be as anxiety. So mindfulness really is showing up for all of our feelings, not just joy and happiness and contentment and peace, but for, you know, uh, John Kabat-Zinn developed MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction. And he has a book and it's called Full Catastrophe Living, because that's what mindfulness is, is showing up for all of it. You know, in the world right now, there's a lot of suffering. What's going on in Ukraine, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, 
global warming. So this isn't to say there isn't pain, but just showing up for all of it and trying to let go of the judgment of it. And I was going to ask about that, actually, and we can delete it if you don't feel comfortable since I'm still recording, but I that it has been on my mind, you know, since the war has started three weeks ago, and I really struggle. And uh, I was curious whether you have any patients that struggle with it too. Basically, I'm so angry. <laughs> I received some advice on Facebook and support, but every day I read the news, I come to the same conclusion, and it's not the conclusion being, how can a human... And I'm referring to the leader of yeah, Russia. Yeah. Like, yeah. how can he basically allow or authorize slaughtering of completely defenseless, it's you know, crazy. humans, which is the children, even newborns and women who are Sorry. about to give birth or children sheltering in that theater in Marupio. Mar- yeah. Mar- yeah. I, I, I probably messed up the name of the city. So basically, and I don't know what to do with myself and I'm angry and do, and I know you're not a magician, but would you feel comfortable speaking? Like, what do you say? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, it's heart-wrenching. It's really just horrible what is going on, like you said. Uh, and I think it's a fine balance. You know, I think that anger, you know, a lot of times anger can be a really challenging emotion. We often say like anger is a secondary emotion because often underneath anger, there's like fear or sadness and anger feels like a Powerlessness. Power, yeah, for me, it's power, like, yes. Complete, yeah. I can do nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and anger is adaptive because a lot of times we act when we're angry. So anger in of itself is not a bad emotion because a lot of times our anger inspires us to act. And, you know, surely you've seen all the people that are acting in support of Ukraine. Right. And a lot of these people are angry. And but, you know, but they're turning this, you know, into love and generosity. And so. Right. You know, so I think that anger is adaptive. It helps us fight the wrongs of the world. We can't turn away and pretend like this isn't happening, right? You know, and so we can be grateful. Anger, like any emotion, is a messenger. It gives us information. And this, your anger is telling you something horrible is happening, you know, to our brothers and our sisters, and, you know, we need to take action, you know, and I think it, the, the fine balance is that sometimes we can become so overwhelmed by the news that we're almost paralyzed. And so I think just being aware of, you know, the news that you consume, like, obviously, you need to be informed, right? But sometimes it's overwhelming, and we need a little bit of a break, or we just need limits around the amount and or the type yeah, of news. I, I get that. And I have limited that. But you know, I can't completely escape it. What I was gonna what else came up, like, as I'm listening to you, the other emotion is grief, like I'm grieving those that have already been slaughtered. And I just, I don't know, you know, how? Oh, yeah. The grief is so important that, you know, the tears heal us. So for that, also just time and turning it into action. Is that what works? Well, I think time and space and allowing yourself to express this grief, you know, because sometimes we want to push it down. You know, we want to like lock it away. And sometimes when we try to lock our emotions away, they bubble up and out. Right. You know, so if you feel the grief, you know, to feel it fully, be present for it and express it. And, you know, that's how we move through grief is, you know, expressing it. And am I just right to the president's office again? 
<laughs> even though yeah. it not go anywhere, but it might make me feel better that I'm doing something. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I I didn't mean to cry. I'm sorry. Oh, I. I I felt you were qualified to help me process. And actually, you did uh, say something or in this course of things, you said something that was really uh, meaningful to me, which was uh, that anger is an adaptive reaction and that any emotion is a message or messenger, I think. Yeah, so that, yeah so, it gives it's one piece of information. It gives us right. information. Mm-hmm. And then just uh, be present fully with it. Yeah. Be pre- yeah. You know, and we can practice mindfulness for our emotions, yeah. you know? And so just to, you know, if you are feeling a lot of grief, you can sit with the grief. You can, journaling can be a powerful way to process grief. And I actually haven't done that with the war, not with the war in Ukraine. So maybe that's what I need to do. I have been just shoving in like the world is going on. So I have to keep going on. Yeah. This is extremely helpful. I'm <laughs> I'm so thankful to you, Nisa. I am so appreciative that you shared your time, your expertise. Uh, you, you were so generous today. Thank you so much. Where do people find you if they want to find you? At amindfulmd.com or where yes. else? Yeah, a mindful MD. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. I just I just celebrated Persian New Year's last night, so I posted some pictures I of our, our Nuru celebration. And your Facebook name is it Kiaoshian too, or uh, it's a mindful MD. Um, a mindful MD. Okay, so yeah, uh, it's yeah. A website and a Facebook. Okay. Yeah, and Instagram too. It's also a MD. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so and much. Please, yeah, and give us an update on your book. All right. Yes, I absolutely will. If you love this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. I'm also available on Facebook. Uh, my personal page is Martina Lenartova, L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A. And my business page has name Martina Ziegenbein Coaching, Z-I-E-G-E-N-B-E-I-N. As always, I appreciate lovely reviews or any questions, concerns, or suggestions. I'm here for it. My website is www.winningatfibromyalgia.com.